0: heads up, the following program contains some salty language in references to sex. March is endometriosis awareness month, but here's the thing about these months. They tend to highlight something we should be paying more attention to all the time. Endometriosis is a condition in which tissue, similar to the lining inside the uterus, that's called the endometrium, is found outside the uterus, where it causes a chronic inflammatory reaction. Like the endometrium, it responds to estrogen and progesterone. Symptoms include painful periods, painful ovulation, painful sex, heavy bleeding, chronic pelvic pain, and fatigue. It's also a major cause of infertility. The disease affects an estimated 1 in 10 women in their reproductive years. It's a major cause of missed school and work. In one study, 1 in 5 patients reported being temporarily disabled by their symptoms. In episode 1, we took a deep dive into Oralissa, a new hormonal drug developed to treat endometriosis. But this time, we're zooming out. This episode is based on the time I spent at the Endometriosis Foundation of America conference in New York City last weekend. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to play any conference lecture tape at you. I'm not a sadist. I'm bringing you a series of conversations with patients, doctors, researchers, and others who want to do something about the suffering of millions of women. If you haven't listened to the first episode, it will help you get into this one with a more educated ear, but it's not mandatory. It's Lady Parts. In this episode, endometriosis. From the personal.
1: It was weird because um, a lot of guys are scared of sex when, uh, because endometriosis also makes you bleed, sometimes not when you have your period. To the political.
2: You know, the way that breast cancer got funding is actually Republican women got together. From the technical.
3: And if these cells could be returned into the uterine cavity of these women, they may repopulate endometrium and uh, replace the defective cells. To
4: the theoretical. Maybe you develop the endometriosis because of the stress.
0: Plus, the Endometriosis Foundation of America stance on Oralissa. So in the first episode of this podcast, I wasn't really clear about my relationship to this disease. So I'll say a little bit about it now without launching into the whole story of my life. The short, short version is I started having severe pelvic pain on my period when I was 27, that's eight years ago now. I would usually be unable to go to work or do chores during the heaviest bleeding days. I had two laparoscopies, and in both, the doctors didn't find any disease. Later I consulted with an endometriosis specialist who looked at my surgery reports and pictures. He told me he could do another surgery, but even if he found and removed endo, there was not a good chance that I would feel better. He told me I might not have endometriosis at all, just a very sensitive uterus. But at the conference last weekend, I picked up a new theory on what might be going on with me. More on that later. Now I want to introduce you to Lucky Church. Lucky was at the conference supporting his wife, who didn't want to talk on mic. Lucky and his wife accepted her pain as normal for a long time. Since she was diagnosed, they've seen a lot of progress managing her disease through lifestyle changes. So how did you come to find out that she had endometriosis, something that she had when you already met or something that developed?
1: Well, we've actually been together now, this may will be 23 years that we've been together since high school. So during our journey together, um, she would always go through these severe, severe periods, like really bad and bleed a lot. And she was always in pain but it was something that her mother went through so it was kind of her sister everybody went through it so to her it was her normal lifestyle and we would get regular checkups um we've had the same doctor the whole time both of us and he didn't he never diagnosed her with endometriosis till about maybe eight years ago or seven years ago rather and he went in and she was just having all these difficulties, you know, gassy, bloaty. Um, the periods just kept getting worse. And sometimes it would be longer and then shorter. The, um, she had, like, the, uh, clumps kind of coming out of her. And I was just like, what is going on um, with her? Um, and we couldn't figure it out and then, until her doctor finally did a biopsy um inside of her and then that's when we found out what was actually happening and then we had never heard that word before so it was like endometriosis what is this you know what i mean we kind of got scared and freaked out um but we realized that was what also was stopping us from having a child so um or possibly because you can't just say definitively that's what it was but we knew that might have been one of the factors
0: so tell me about the diet
1: oh the diet uh It was more... We were considering going vegan or vegetarian, but we wasn't sure. We thought that was too extreme um, because we both were extreme meat lovers. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just being honest. Um, But we cut a lot of the red meat out. That was probably the hardest part because we were big steak eaters. Um, So we cut the red meat out. We cut out uh, pork completely. And we just started more on chicken, turkey, and fish. That was the first step. Now, I I would say we're kind of pescatarians is what we're leaning more to now. Um, But we also do not, you know, um, we don't take things out of our lives, so maybe once or twice a year. If we really want a steak or something, we'll go have it, but we go out of our way to make sure that it's either organic um, meat or, like, we'll do all the research in the restaurant. Where are they getting their food from? Where are they sourcing from? And as tedious as it sounds, it's what's best for her health and, and mine.
0: Was there a period at which you or she was just accepting that periods are really painful? You said her mother had it.
1: Yeah. She accepted it from an early age. Um, Her mom always had severe periods. uh, I think two of her sisters always had it. So it was just something that she felt was normal. And then I kind of adopted that. And the bad thing I did was because I adopted that mentality when she would have a period like girl you you always have your period what are you complaining about like that was my attitude towards it which was definitely the wrong attitude because as a man you don't understand what that feels like you know what i mean to, to hold a baby or to go through those cramps and um i would see her in severe pain but now knowing what i know hindsight being twenty twenty, i almost feel like damn i was like maybe my sister has that um maybe my friend who has these severe cramps who i know people who cannot even get up out of bed their period is so bad, not knowing that this could be the root of that problem. So it's just, it's, it's um, life-changing when you actually discover and then when you're also sympathetic towards it um, and not thinking that, you know, they're just complaining, you know, and that's where I was as a man, being ignorant, <laughs> just being honest. When it started to get worse, it would go up and down because we would change our diet so much, the light bulb really came on and it was screwed in tight and we were like, okay, look. This is not changing, but we noticed that certain little things we did change helped. So now we need to really start experimenting more and kind of removing. What we did was we kind of just slowly remove one thing at a time and see. Let's see how we feel after a week of not eating this, and then let's put this in, put these these leafy greens, and see how we feel eating this for a week. So like it was a big experiment test, and once as we experimented, we learned more about ourselves and each other. And she even has those apps that help you count the period and the flow days. Like I, I was shocked when she mentioned it. Um, because that's what we're using now to, also to track her cycle so we can figure out when she's the most fertile and, you know, and also, so we don't have to think about it as much. Cause it, you know, sometimes when you overthink it, that prevents things too. It's not sexy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can say that again. Oh my goodness. Yes.
2: Um,
0: what was I going to ask you? So how is her pain now?
1: Um, her pain fluctuates, but it's way better than it was before. She has her good moments and bad moments, but then she notices it right away. And it'll usually flare up again when she introduces something that she hadn't, hasn't had in a while. But it's also a great uh, point of us in our own research, because we go, okay, remember this? You ate this, and you haven't had that in a while, so this may be a big trigger for you. Um, And she goes, oh, yeah, you know, and then we'll remove that thing again, and then it'll go back to kind of being in the control state. And then we also, not to get graphic, we also realized that sex helps endometriosis, which was, it was weird because um, a lot of guys are scared of sex when, uh, because endometriosis also makes you bleed, sometimes not when you have your period. So guys can get queasy about that thing, but... I'm telling you guys out here. Sometimes, if you want to help your woman, sometimes you have to give her that during sex, uh, the sex during that time frame, because um, not too long ago, when we had sex, it actually made it stop. She noticed the next day that the pain was gone, the bleeding had stopped, um, and it was just like, wow. Sometimes us men don't realize that we can be a big help as well. <laughs>
0: Sexual healing baby is good for me. Sometimes sex can make endometriosis pain worse, and it can depend on the person or the time in the cycle. It typically takes 7 to 10 years to get a correct diagnosis, which often involves seeing multiple doctors. So lack of education, of doctors is a barrier to better outcomes and so is a shortage of research funding. Last year, the NIH granted 7 million dollars in funding for endometriosis. Compare that to 755 million for breast cancer or 1,172 million for diabetes. Linda Griffith says it's important to get men involved to make progress on the funding front and in the lab. She's a biological engineer
2: at MIT. What I get upset about is how little funding we have for endometriosis and how few really talented people in my field, engineering and science, are working on this. So at MIT, we have, we're have we very visible. What do you think is the real reason behind that, really? A lack of organize you know the way that breast cancer got funding is actually republican women got together in the house and if you you had a huge concerted effort by republican women to get fund, more funding for breast cancer at a federal level but then you had a proliferation of patient groups with their husbands and husbands were you destigmatized breast cancer you destigmatized it you got men involved and honestly when 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 men are presented with an interesting problem, they will work on it. So when breast cancer, my dean has no problem saying mammary gland and yeah. blah 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 because That's this is a it's a science it's a scientific problem. And so what I'm trying to do with our Center for Gynaecology Research at MIT is say, look, you know, I'm going to help formulate these very interesting problems for you. Uh, and, and they're fascinating problems and you know, in my environment, men love having women around. I think yeah. it's just like n- very underappreciated and STEM mm-hmm. feels that the, the guys I work with, they'd rather have women around than not have them around. Mm-hmm.
0: The woman with the British accent who you also heard in that clip is Amy Jane Melhewish. She's a patient and advocate and we'll hear more from her later. But for now, time for some science. Stem cells are a type of cell that has the potential to become different types of tissue in the body. Embryonic stem cells get the most media attention and they're the easiest to manipulate. But fully developed adult organs also contain their own stem cells that help tissues regenerate. Through chemical manipulation, scientists can reprogram stem cells from one part of the body to be used in a completely different part of the body. Dr. Sirdar Balloon and his team have turned stem cells from bone and skin into endometrial cells. He says this early research has implications for endometriosis, endometrial cancer, and infertility. Dr. Balloon is the Chair of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University and the Chief OBGYN at Prentice Women's Hospital in Chicago. We know the endometrium is the uterine lining and regenerates every month. Can you tell us what, like a little bit about what that tissue is made up of?
3: Sure. Basically, it's made up of probably three major cell types. One is the skeleton of endometrium that keeps it together. We call them the stromal cells. They make the bulk of the tissue. And by the way, all endometrial cells are responsive to estrogen and progesterone, the ovarian hormones. That's what makes them unique. And the second cell type is the epithelial cells, the line, the top of these stromal cell, like bulk, and the epithelial cells are the ones that come in contact with the embryo. Uh, So they are extraordinarily important for implantation. The third cell type is uh, the cells that make up the blood vessels. These are very important. Uh, We call them spiral arteries. They are the ones that help endometrium to be renewed every month. And finally, the uh, immune cells that exist in, in the tissue of endometrium, and they probably play a role in modulating the immune response to a uh, foreign tissue type, which is the embryo, so that the embryo would not be rejected.
0: So what part of the endometrium are you focused you're focusing your stem cell research on?
3: The stromal cells because we believe that they are the ones that cause the symptoms of endometriosis. They are the ones for example that make uh, prostaglandins along with other inflammatory substances. And again, it is thought that these inflammatory substances either in the endometrium or most importantly in the lower abdomen, they stimulate nociceptors. These are uh, the pain receptors that are linked to the nerves, and that's how pain is... uh, originated, and also these nerves through the spinal cord and eventually in the brain cause the perception of pain in patients.
0: I'm I'm thinking about your last paper and the research that you did in the lab. You were taking stem cells from somewhere in the body, modifying them, and then using them to regenerate endometrium tissue in the lab. Is that right?
3: Right, and this research uh, was opened up by this famous uh, Japanese investigator, Yamanaka. Dr. Yamanaka demonstrated in early 2000s that if you take a patient's, uh, any mature cell type, let's say a skin biopsy, just fully differentiated skin cells, or bone marrow cells, And if you introduce those four factors that are called Yamanaka factors, those four genes into these cells, when Yamanaka factors are introduced into, let's say, a mature skin cell that could be obtained by a skin biopsy from anybody, then these Yamanaka factors turn this cell into an early stem cell. And that's why they are called IPS, or Induced Pluripotent Stem Cells. So I I will refer to them as IPS cells. This is totally a technological development. I mean, this doesn't happen normally in the body in this fashion. However, we can use this technology by uh, creating stem cells, by erasing their um, differentiation program, make them like uh, plastic again, and then we can re-differentiate them to different other tissues. Uh, I'll give you an example. For example, we do believe that 10% of the women, they develop endometriosis because there is something unusual about their stem cells in their intrauterine endometrium. And these stem cells, when they go back to the abdomen, they cause inflammation. They they are resistant to the hormone progesterone. They do a lot of things that contribute to disease. We believe that if we can wipe out their program, and if we can program them appropriately through these either hormonal means or even in the future through gene editing. And if these cells could be returned into the uterine cavity of these women, they may repopulate endometrium and uh, replace the defective cells. Of course, there are a lot of ifs in what I just said, but we are very happy that it is uh, we opened the door for this kind of research.
0: I'm happy for you. So you said um, reprogramming the cells through gene editing or hormonal means. When you're talking about hormonal means, do you mean still mean removing them from the body and then using hormones in the lab and then putting those specific stem cells back into the body? Correct. What are the other implications of this research aside from treating endometriosis?
3: There are a lot of endometrial diseases other than endometriosis. For example, uh, uterine cancer. Endometrial cancer is another one. For example, some patients don't develop the symptoms of endometriosis, yet their endometrial cells are believed to be progesterone resistant. Therefore, they may not become pregnant or they may experience early pregnancy losses. And stromal cells play an extraordinarily important role in these processes because they are the the front-line cells that come in contact with progesterone in the tiny, teeny blood vessels in the endometrium. We believe that they are the key. They contain the progesterone receptors. If they respond to progesterone appropriately, for example we can either prevent or treat endometrial cancer or we can treat infertility or uh, recurrent miscarriages.
0: And I want to be clear, this is my understanding from what I've read, but this kind of um, stem, these kind of stem cells, they come from the same, the patient or this body that they're going to be used on so that they're not rejected um, by that person as opposed to getting them from another person. Is that right?
3: Excellent point. In fact, that was the punchline for this kind of research. That's why Dr. Yamanaka went ahead and did this. Although it's possible to use somebody else's uh, IPS cells on another patient, the major uh, advantage of this technology is we can use our own cells as our stem cells, because if you use somebody else's stem cells, you have to be on uh, suppressive drug treatment almost forever.
0: Immunosuppressant.
3: Immunosuppressant. For example, this is what, this is not stem cell research, but like kidney transplant patients live through, or even like very few uterine transplants were done, the uterus has to be removed for example, in these patients after two three years if the pa- after the patient becomes pregnant. But imagine that we are also able to develop the other cell types, the three other cell types that I er- mentioned earlier that makes up the uterus and endometrium, then we can even regenerate a full uterus uh, with tomorrow's technology. If that's possible then we could like place the endometrium, but the entire uterus in a woman who was born, let's say, without a uterus, or in a woman who had to have hysterectomy for endometriosis or for some other reasons. So this opens up a lot of other fields.
0: That was gonna be my next question. Could you regenerate a whole uterus?
3: It's totally doable. All the elements of the technology are not here yet. But it's almost like, uh, I mean, did we really think that we could go to the moon in 1950s? Absolutely. And then it happened. It's uh, something like that. I mean, it, it really requires uh, filling these technological gaps. And conceptually, it's totally possible.
0: So you established this pathway for modifying stem cells. And I was wondering what is the next step, you know, outside of the Petri dish?
3: Right. I think uh, this technology could be tried in animals. I mean, the most amenable animal to research have been mice. Unfortunately, mouse uterus is so different than a woman's uterus in many ways that, you know, even if this could be done in a mouse, uh, to redo it in a human will require a lot of technological leaps. Eventually, I think we have to get used to the idea that, you know, we, especially, for example, endometriosis research, we have to do most of it in the humans or or using human cells, because endometriosis is pretty much a human disease. Very few other animals spontaneously develop endometriosis, if any at all. Hmm.
0: What um, would be some of the risks... To, and maybe you can draw on other stem cell research. What would be some of the risks to having a, a uterine stem cell procedure?
3: Some of the risks are, for example, uh, not being able to reprogram these cells appropriately. I mean, if if the yes, we could correct the defects that are associated with endometriosis, but. During this process, if we introduce other defects, apparently the patient will suffer other consequences that we are not even thinking of right now. This is, uh, this is probably the most obvious one. Another one would be, what if the cells would go back to their original program? And, and because after all, it originates from this person's body, right? So there's so much we do not know about DNA programming, and that's what all this stem cell and differentiation is about. So there are no mutations, there are no changes to the DNA code, but we have 3 billion nucleic acids in the DNA in each cell of a person, and how DNA is programmed is extraordinarily important, and we are just... Scratching the surface of uh, understanding how DNA is programmed right now, probably the biggest challenge is how do we do it right?
0: Yeah, so you're saying you could end up with like a bone marrow, some bone marrow cells in your uterus. It doesn't doesn't sound fun.
3: Right, uh, right. I mean, I I don't think you know these cells will start making, uh, you know, bone in the in the uterus. Uh, probably the problem would be much more subtle than that. For some reason, these cells are so plastic that if they are introduced into a different tissue, uh, they get a lot of signals from that tissue from the other cells that says, guess what, you have to do this, you have to work with us type of thing. So it's kind of like a collaborative process between all these cell types in other tissues. But there could be a lot of other Uh, subtle defects. And as you could imagine, you know, pain or implantation of an embryo are extremely subtle biological processes. So um, again, I think that there is so much to understand about DNA programming. I think that would be one of the major challenges that we experience.
0: So I know we're wrapping up. I always like to ask people in the medical field if you could change one thing about the medical system, what would it be?
3: I would change the education of clinicians, the patients, and the public about endometriosis. What breaks my heart is, uh, although this information is out there, it is not widely recognized, therefore we cannot address these issues from a public health perspective. It breaks my heart that there are still a lot of teenage girls, teenage young women. They um, have chronic painful menses, and nobody pays attention to them. In my mind, these are the early manifestations of endometriosis. When these women become, um, you know, 20 or 30, and have the independence of their own insurance, then they can get a laparoscopy and get the diagnosis of endometriosis. But they've been suffering through the symptoms all along. Why wouldn't we be more proactive and start treating them earlier, recognizing the disease earlier? Basically, we are labeling different stages of the disease as primary dysmenorrhea, laparoscopically diagnosed endometriosis, and take these patients through the same treatments, but both the scientific and clinical community need to get together, recognize the improvements that were made by modern medicine, including molecular biology, and really uh, move endometriosis to 21st century.
0: Note here that the application of this technology for endometriosis is based on the idea that what Dr. Balloon calls backward menstruation is a major source of endometriosis. That's when part of the endometrium flows through the fallopian tubes into the pelvis during menstruation. Most women have backward or retrograde menstruation, so why do only 10% develop endometriosis? He thinks it may be because of abnormalities in the stromal cells. Now, of course, not all endometriosis specialists agree on this retrograde menstruation theory, and Dr. David Redwine is one of the most vocal critics, and you could go back to episode one to hear his thoughts on that. Coming up after a break, the life impacts of severe endometriosis and the possible role of stress. patronize me baby no don't tell me it's all in my head support lady parts on patreon you can do that by clicking the support this podcast button in your app or go to patreon.com slash lady parts pod this is an otherwise unfunded project and it's, uh, it's it's a lot of work for a donation of five dollars or more a month you'll get access to extended cuts of interviews from each episode and there's swag to come Also, Lady Parts is now on Twitter, at Lady Part Podcast. Just one part. Which part? I'll leave it up to your imagination. That's at Lady Part Podcast on Twitter. Amy Jane Melhewish was one of the most outspoken patients at the medical conference. She's been roaming the world looking for answers. Can you spell your your name for me? Yeah, it's complicated. So it's Amy
5: Jane Melhuish. M-E-L-H-U-I-S-H. And people can follow me on Facebook. It's where I'm kind of... I'm out there. I haven't quite got my head around all the modern technology yet. If I lose my words, by the way, you have to forgive me. Brain fog is real. (laughs) It's hideous. And I'm in so much pain today. I've got heat pads on. I'm exhausted, but I'm here. I've got 26 years experience of it now. I'm 40. I started having been very symptomatic when I was 14. So that gives me 26 years experience on the ground of knocking on doors uh, in multiple countries. And I have to say, uh, same shit, different country. So we're all in this together, <laughs> we really are. So you, uh, you sound like you're from the UK and you said you live in France? That's right. So um, I was born in, in England, so I've had uh, many years of knocking on doors and not getting a diagnosis. It took 13 years for me to get a diagnosis. That was in 2005. And during that time I had also been to other countries thinking maybe a different doctor, maybe someone else will listen, maybe I need to say it in Japanese, I don't know, whatever. No, it took 13 years to get a diagnosis and obviously, as we all know, that's, that's not rare. Um, that was back in 2005. Since then I've had nine surgeries um, in England and France. Uh, I'm still very symptomatic. Um, I had Zolidex, so they, um, they put me into the medical menopause. That was my first laparoscopy back in 2005. and it That's a GnRH agonist? That's right, yeah. Um, so same chemical, different name, really. Um, and I'm now at the stage where um, osteoporosis and all sorts of other issues. And it's the, is this a progression of the disease? Or is this a long-term secondary side effect?
0: Osteoporosis. So I would have thought that that would have been an, uh, maybe an effect of the Zoladex. Was that an effect of endometriosis itself? I don't know. I don't know. And when I ask of people here, they don't really know either. And this is what
5: we're all looking at. But I think there needs to be um, more information provided to all of us women before we're given these medications. And I think it's still too common. I mean, I'm talking about 2005, and I see numerous, I mean, thousands upon thousands of comments daily online of women just being given a drug they, they weren't communicated about. They weren't given... They couldn't make an informed decision as to whether or not they wanted to accept that drug treatment because they weren't given that information. And that's, that's wrong. That's wrong because it can and does have so many detrimental effects. I'm not saying that's the case for everyone because obviously we all know that everyone's different and everyone has the right to make their own mind up but they have to be given the chance to make their own mind up. majority of the time we don't get given the time that we need. We get fifteen minutes into a consultation. The guy's already looking at his watch, and the, and the, the amount of patients waiting in the waiting room. That needs to fundamentally change because we don't get anywhere. And and women and and men with endo, all of us. You know, I say endo fam now because we need. I, I think it's important to acknowledge everybody. But we are waiting and waiting and waiting to have appointments. In the meantime. People are choosing peace, they're killing themselves, and I totally understand that. I did make an attempt years ago and I screwed up, so I'm still here to tell the tale. And it's. They're choosing. S- what? I'm sorry? They're choosing peace, they're choosing to kill themselves. And whilst people are waiting, they're, they've had enough, and I understand that. Um, there's a reason that patients are called patients, but sometimes our patience runs out, and I completely respect those people. But we collectively need to try to stop that. We need to do everything in our power to not let it get that far for some people. And there are, I believe, a lot of fundamental systems that need to change. It's been great to hear the consultants here who talk about spending an hour or two hours
0: consulting with their patients, and that's what's necessary. When you're in pain or struggling with a major health issue for a long time, stress comes along for the ride. It can feel like a vicious cycle. Stressing about the pain makes the pain feel worse. Amy and I spoke with Dr. Mark Passover, who has a theory about a physiological pathway connecting stress to endometriosis. He's the founder of a new field of medicine called neuropelviology, which is concerned with the dysfunction of the pelvic nerves. And he runs the Passover International Medical Center in Zurich, Switzerland. I-, I had my first business when I was 21. It was a six-figure business. I sold it at 25, bought my first
5: house. I had financial plans for my future. Yeah. Um, destroyed, <laughs> repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Annual surgeries, not getting the right treatment, not getting the right access to whatever the right treatment is. It changes your, your pathways, which is inevitably going to add a level of emotional support that's important. But there is also the physiological side of mm-hmm. that angst.
4: mm mm-hmm.
5: Um, and that we carry pain, that we carry the emotional pain.
4: You say that you develop all the problems of the endometriosis and the pain or the pain because of the endometriosis. Maybe you develop the endometriosis because of the stress. Because you know that the stress will induce a proliferation of a lot of sympathetic nerve. And sympathetic nerve on the nerve of the rescue nerve. So we call them sympathetic, but they are not very nice by the through (laughs) these nerves. Because they will induce all the problems of fatigue, pallor, pain, uh, nausea, vomiting, and all these things. So in my opinion, you develop all these symptoms because of endometriosis. But eventually you develop the endometriosis because of the threat in your life. Is
5: that fight or flight, that we our bodies are in a certain readiness, in a certain...
4: Yes, I think so. When I was working in Cologne, I saw a lot of patients coming from abroad, from a country like Turkey. And there, we had a lot of young pop, uh, women when they were living in Turkey. They had absolutely no problem, no pain, no endometriosis. They even didn't know the name. They came to Germany, and then completely different life, a lot of stress, and then they start to develop low abdominal pain. And when we perform laparoscopy, by the through they develop an endometriosis. Okay, we don't know, maybe she had the endometriosis even previously when they were living in the Turkey, but they have no pain. We will never do laparoscopy to treat an endometriosis if the patient is pain-free. Except maybe she has uh, some difficulty with infertility, but we are not treating a disease. We are treating a young lady, le- yes, a young lady, who has pain, who has some uh, disorder, functional disorder, and maybe desire pregnancy. Mm.
0: No? Do you have a, a theory on the physiological pathway from stress uh, to endometriosis?
4: Although we know that um, in the pelvis, there in women, there are very very special uh, kind of sympathetic nerve, what we call the neuro, uh, neuropeptide Y nerves, and these nerves are located in the in the cardiac area, in the heart, and in the pelvis in women, and. Um, these nerves are probably located in the pelvis in woman because these nerves have very very strong neoangiogenic factors, and maybe we need these nerve and neoangiogenic factors because of the pregnancy. We well, have not to forget when you are getting pregnant from a small uterus from few centimeters in diameter, the uterus is getting so big like that. So the pelvis in the woman have to be something. We don't have wear, the, the men, and we don't have sympathetic neuropeptide pep- uh, epsilon nerve in the pelvis, only in the woman. And when I was uh, in cardiovascular surgery, it was very interesting. We made a study concerning this neuropeptide epsilon because I was a cardiovascular surgeon. And we, we took rabbits, we made biopsy, cardiac biopsy, in order to check how well is this uh, neuropeptide Upsilon, how many they have. And then we put a fox in proximity to the to the rabbit. So they became extremely nervous. Yes, yeah? we put them in stress t- situation. And what we'll, we discover is that some of the rabbit died. And when we make a dis- dissection, we found that The sympathetic nerve system, the stress nerve system, were completely destroyed. It was too much stress, in other other words. And it's very interesting because some of the rabbits were still alive. And a few weeks later, we put the fox away. And now the rest of the rabbit die. And we make a study. We make dissection and we found that this rabbit, because of the stress, developed more and more and more sympathetic nerves. So
5: they, 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 guard, to yeah. one, they they kept that yeah. reaction yeah. in the stress, their- They ah.
4: develop more sympathetic nerve in order to adapt the body to the new stress situation. And by the by the through, when we remove the fox the second time, most of the rabbit died. Why? Because the body was adapted for a high level of stress situation. And that's the reason why when you have a person with a lot of stress, they will get the cardiac accident when they will get, get retired and not before. And if you compare between the cardiac situation and the pelvis, it's maybe the same situation. Maybe because of the, the stress, we have all very stressy alive today, we develop maybe more sympathetic nerve in the, pel- the pelvis, and the sympathetic nerve will induce the neoangiogenesis. The endometriosis now um, uh, uh, need to grow and to develop.
0: Can you explain angio- neo- angio- neo-
4: <laughs> an- neoangiogenesis? Neoangiogenesis means that the body is able to develop new vessels because endometriosis to develop and to grow need blood. So and the processes of neongiogenesis is a process of the body to produce new new vessels. And that is what of the key we are speaking today. We are speaking about inflammation. What is inflammation? Inflammation that means a lot of cells are coming there. Where the cells are coming? Through the blood vessel, through the blood. So in endometriosis we have always too much vessels, and that's the reason why surgery in endometriosis is so difficult and bloody.
0: As a surgeon, as a medical doctor, um, what can you do to the n- pelvic nerves that helps with um, endometriosis pain? What have you learned about that?
4: The first thing we've learned is we have to spare the nerves. That is the most important. And then in, in, uh, when you have endometriosis of the nerve from the surgical point of view, fortunately in the most, in the m- most frequent situation, you have just to release the nerve. So to cut, part of the nerve. You have never to cut a, completely a nerve. But when some, sometimes you have endometriosis of the sciatic nerve, you have to cut part of the nerve. But the truth, the most important is, should be that the doctors are becoming aware that this pathology uh, exists and they are be able to make the di- diagnosis as soon as possible before the endometrios start to grow inside the nerves.
0: It's very difficult to even get to those nerves, right? So most doctors might not even think to check.
4: Yes, it's not, not easy to go to this nerve, but to make the diagnosis or to suppose the diagnosis of an endo from the pelvic nerves, is easy. With a proper question, with a patient history, you will have a suspicion of endometriosis of the sciatic nerve or, or the different nerve for that. You don't need laparoscopy or even you don't need examination for that. You have the diagnosis by patient history. You have just a question to to ask your patient. Do you feel during the man's bleeding or maybe outside the man's bleeding, pain going down in the leg, in the front, in the back? Do you have burning pain in the vulva, in the vagina? Do you have pain in the buttock? You have to to, to have all all these questions. Yes, yes. And not just do you have low abdominal pain is not enough.
0: Do you think, in, you know, we talked earlier about having that 15-minute appointment, and you've ex- a, that's the case in the U.S., you've experienced it in France, in the U.K. Do you think that uh, doctors get more time in, in Switzerland where you work?
4: No, I, I don't think so, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's individual. Okay. When you have a motivation to, do, to deal and you want to deal with patients affected by endometriosis, you will have to take your time.
0: Dr. Passover's theory about developing endometriosis as a result of stress is really interesting to me, since I'm one of those people who didn't have really painful periods from the beginning. I was bleeding monthly for 17 years before they got bad. My first really bad period happened right before I moved from Portland, Maine to Indianapolis, where I didn't know a soul, to start a new job with a nonprofit that was in a precarious funding situation. And things got more stressful from there. Also, what he said about endometriosis of the pelvic nerves being indicated by pain in the legs, vulva, and butt. Check, check, and check. Before I left the conference, I wanted to know a couple of things. One, why is the general state of care for patients with endometriosis so poor? And two, what's being done about it? And three, I wanted the position of the foundation on Oralissa's. So I sat down with Dr. Tomer Sechkin. He's an endometriosis surgeon in private practice. Dr. Sechkin co-founded the Endometriosis Foundation of America 10 years ago. The other co-founder is Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi, who is one of his patients. We've just heard a lot of stories, and I'm sure you're always hearing stories of women going to different doctors and getting a wrong diagnosis or not being diagnosed by their OBGYN how do you um, w- explain the state of affairs?
6: Well, the, it's it's really very not that complicated. We gotta simplify it. It's it's all about ignorance. The ignorance and misinformation is all over, and this is associated with the regular cultural issues that between man and woman uh, and. The issues of menstruation, the taboos and the stigma stick. to nobody. This is a very personal thing uh, in cosmopolitan life. It's personal uh, in uh, rural areas and underdeveloped countries. It, is, it has different contacts. It gets more rigid. As you just heard, there's, we all know there are menstrual huts in half of the world you know, in, a, in a different way. But literally there are menstrual huts, I mean, in India, in Nepal, in parts of Middle East, not, people, women are excluded from their uh, social contacts, daily contact, because they have periods. So this thing, everything bad is associated with blood, blood is blood, you know. Um, as a matter of fact, Men are more afraid of vaginal blood than women in the long run, but uh, that's another story. So, uh, misinformation reflects from society to the way doctors practice too. In America, I think, it's not fair to uh, bring the misinformation to women or ignorance, it's the ignorance of medicine, the practice of medicine classically, which does not give place to reproductive health and health uh, issues around menstruation, enough uh, exposure to train doctors what can get wrong. I think the disease itself being it difficult to treat makes probably the field of medicine not to get involved too much because also if you think regular OBGYN, uh, if they start doing these kind of surgeries if they have a problem it's a big, the, uh, the price of it could be significant. I mean, there are complications. There's uh, uh, Due to that, uh, people lose their, their malpractice, insurance go high. These become big issues. So people don't, not, don't want to touch and do surgery of these. But traditionally, these are known to have to cause. If you don't do it right, you get complication. In the best sense, in the beginning, there were one out of five ended up with complications. So traditional people, patients do not not have the right surgery from the get-go.
0: What is the Endometriosis Foundation doing to improve the education of doctors around endometriosis?
6: We just had our uh, incredible scientific and surgical conference right now, two days. There were 140 people in in the crowd. Uh, So yearly we do this, the exchange is incredible, Um, and uh, we have a Hopefully, uh, we, there are fellowship programs that are uh, we are discussing to develop, to train doctors. Uh, we are creating incredible awareness and pressure through patient populations to impose change in the way doctors practice. We promote excision surgery, removal of the tissue and tissue diagnosis. We are promoting research. This year, we, I'm honored to tell you that we, we're giving, we surpassed our $1 million mark for endometriosis research. If you consider the government of the United States, uh, NIH is giving $6 million, $7 million last year for endo. Our humble small com- uh, uh, charity is giving $1 million, not in a year, but over the four years of period of time. It's a significant money, and this is not. This money is not from drug companies or, or tech companies. This is coming directly from public and individuals that have given significant amount of money because they
0: believe we're doing the right thing. I, I think that it said, okay, on your website that we were going to find out the position of the endometriosis foundation of America on Oralisa. So can well, you tell me?
6: Well, there, 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 we, we were very uh, concerned because uh, we were made to believe that the company would, um, would, would uh, publicize the education and awareness program which they omit the value of excision surgery as a prime and gold standard. When I saw that and I repeatedly asked them to have it corrected, it did not and somehow I was, nobody was hearing me. We wanted our name be detached from that. I don't want the history when it's written about endometriosis. I don't want uh, women of future so-called the uh, avocado and toast generation—they call it avocado toast generation—which is coming, you know. I don't want them to say, "Oh, these guys were this with, with this ABCD company; they're part of this thing now." Nobody uses that drug, or really, say it's nothing more than Lupron. It's a different way of ingestion, lower dose, maybe. It more or less it works the same way, but it doesn't treat the disease. You can't take it forever. I mean, there are situations you can use Lupron or Ulissa, but not, they're not, what, is, what we are against it, people are made to believe it's a, it's a solution. It's not. The solution is removing the disease, and we have to be honest and very open about it. It should be told. Excision surgery is not just for tissue biopsy, it's a removal with a healthy borders around it and taking out of the system so the body can repair it
0: that's about it for this episode there was of course lots I couldn't cover at the conference even some holistic stuff like yoga instruction in the lecture hall there was yoga instruction in the lecture hall I posted a video on the Lady Parts Facebook page that's at Lady Parts Pod I'm told that videos from the lectures will be up on the Endometriosis Foundation website by March 24th that address is endofound.org lady parts is produced by me andrea maraskin in partnership with baobab tree studios in new haven connecticut production help this week from melissa davis the lady parts logo is by jamie squire and our theme song is by adam Ragusia. thank you so much for listening